This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hey, are you ready to hang with your digital besties? What day is it? Is a podcast covering every girl problem, life struggle, and biz reality out there. So pour yourself a glass of wine and get ready to laugh, relate, and celebrate not having it all together. First, I asked how much protein they need or they think they need. Um, A lot of the times people don't have a clue. They just think they need more. Um, Well, if we're a bodybuilder, let's let's say we're talking about bodybuilders even, they need 1.6 grams per kilogram of body weight. If I want to be generous, it's 2.2 grams per kilogram of body weight. That is, um, that's going to be very difficult to to do on any diet. That's something that you're probably going to have to supplement regardless. Now, if you're talking about the average person eating 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight, well, that's incredibly easy. In fact, vegans get more protein for their body weight than omnivores do. And the reason is because vegans are leaner, right? They tend to be lower body weight. They tend to, they're the only group to maintain an average healthy body weight. Um, And so that concern is completely squashed. Okay, friendships, that was a clip from our episode with Dr. Matthew Negra. We're diving into all the plant-based talk and discussion and facts and myths and all that good stuff. But before that, you've got to listen to us. So welcome to What Day Is It? I am Bailey Stanworth, one half of this dysfunctional podcast. You know the drill. And I'm Jackie Rye, other half of this dysfunctional podcast we say it every week but we really truly are dysfunctional um i hope we have a good intro for you today me and bailey are both headed away for the long weekend so we're doing this a little bit early so i'm hoping we have some quality content to share with you guys for some laughs i was just telling jackie she looks like sid from ice age before we started recording (laughs) and i don't really feel offended or sad or even upset in the slightest because I love Sid the Sloth from my Age. He's so funny and a little funny looking, but his humor makes up for it. So compliment. Do your impression. Okay. <clears throat> Hold on. I want everybody to Google a photo of Sid the Sloth and look at the photo while Jackie does this. The last melon. <laughs> That's actually so good. It's It's pretty spot on. Oh, man. I also do a really good Grinch impression for some reason. Oh, well, now please grace us with this. We've done it before together. You just go, Max, Max. That's the only word she can do in the Grinch. Mary. No, I can't do it. (laughs) You're going into like Sid the Sloth. (laughs) Sid the Grinch. Anywho dysfunctional at its finest anywho um okay well let's just dive right into our cupid psycho do you want to go first or do you want me to go first i can mine are not that exciting to be honest because me neither some short amount of time has passed and we also spent almost 24 hours together so i know everything and you know everything but actually one of my is kind of related to that so Anyways, my cute, I also feel like it could be a psycho. I woke up at 7.30 to do a spin ride this morning with some friends who are on different time zones, but I will say I crushed it. I kept up. They were both guys. I kept up with them. I was beating them at one point and 
I nearly fainted when I got off the bike, but that was only my second ride back after four months. And to keep up with the guys, I thought was pretty good. Bailey Stanworth, you should have given yourself a few more rides before you jumped on a, I was going to say a Zoom call, <laughs> a Peloton ride with Blake Horseman, who goes to the gym. He said sometimes, or he used to go twice a day. Yeah, no, he said that he'd been taking a little break too. It was our mutual friend's birthday. So we did a birthday ride with him. That was why I was like, I can't really reschedule someone's birthday. I can't say that for my birthday. I'd ever want to do a spin class, but like each to their own. Well, we're all in different places. Evan's in Connecticut, Blake's in Denver, and I'm the one on like the least beneficial time zone. So yeah. Anyway, I actually saw you were up really early and I was like, what is this bitch doing up so early in pink leggings? Like, pardon? And then I guess <laughs> I finally realized why. But like, do you give yourself time to wake up before your workout? Yeah, I definitely had to make sure I was awake because a, again, it was only my second one back. And the first one I did was so hard, but I had a coffee. Like I made sure that I had a coffee. I made sure that I had a poop and then I was good to go. That's funny. I feel like you're really, well, I know you're very competitive too, in a way. Oh, so competitive. And when you're again going against guys, it's like you want to prove yourself too. So good for you. Yeah, no, I was definitely very, it was great motivation. I will say that because it like makes you push yourself. I would, I always like push myself, but not, I definitely wouldn't have to that extent. So it was good. Um, okay. And then my psycho is that, I mean, this could be a cute, but it is a psycho, I think, because it is a part of my shopping problem, but it's benefited you, Jackie. I knew it was going to be this. <laughs> I have bought five friends in like the last month, the same sex toy. She's not kidding. <laughs> She's really not kidding. I've got Jackie's right here, right beside me arrived yesterday. And you guys, if you don't have the satisfier pro, we will link it for you. Go get it. It's great. Raving reviews. Jackie will give you a raving review next episode. Shut up. I will not. I'm going away. So, but funny story. Well, if you guys listened to last week's episode, then you know Bailey has a full-blown shopping addiction. Like, it's insane. So, she's ordered five of these things. Plus, she has her own for friends. I don't know. She didn't tell, she told me after that she ordered it for me. Did you tell the other people you after, or did you tell them during like, no, after I like to, people like to we get into discussions and then I find out things and I'm just like, I got to help. I got to be a good friend. I got to be supportive. I got to help a friend live their best life. And so while these conversations are happening, I just casually go to my Amazon account because my payment's already saved. My login's already saved. The and Satisfyer Pro is already saved on her wish list. It is. I just go to order history. <laughs> and that's just your life in a nutshell, honestly. Everything in, is saved in Bailey's ad to, uh, wish list, so she can just easily add it to cart and purchase. Pretty much. But it was a selfless gift because it's not even for me. So That is very true. Very, very cute, but psycho of you. Yeah, way to, exactly. Way to play it off. Way to play off your shopping addiction once again. Guys, also need to mention, Bailey has, in fact, contacted Jason Tardick from a past episode for some financial help after last week's lecture on her finances from me. And, you know, I actually low-key felt bad because we were catching up when we were going to Kelowna this week. And she was telling me she contacted Jason for help with her money. And I felt bad. Like, I felt like I had pressured her to do that. But it's a good thing for her. 
Yeah, no, I'm like, I'm excited. I've meant to do it for a while. I just always felt like I was going to be bugging him because I know how busy he is, but he's a great guy and he said he will help me. So stay tuned guys. Bailey might be coming at us with a budget friendly. He's going to be like, so can you break down your finances for me? How much do you spend on shopping? I'll be like, "Mm -hmm. the limit does not exist. (laughs) Also, how much do you spend on five sex toys in a month? Hmm. (laughs) That would fall under the miscellaneous category. I think. (laughs) One I bought for Caitlin so he can be happy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's so funny. Okay. My cute but psycho is that. So my cute is I got my lashes done today. Okay. Mm. If you guys have been following for a while, you know, I went through like a phase where I had lashes all the time and then I stopped. Here's the cute part about it is I'm all, I'm doing it to support my friend who's doing a lash course. And I just wanted to give this cute to her because I feel like it's so cool to watch your friends go after things that they want to go after and like accomplish them. So she's doing a training course right now and I modeled for her and I benefit from it by getting free set of lashes. So cute, cute, win-win. And then my psycho, by the way, couldn't afford lashes if I wanted it right now. <laughs> My psycho on the topic of money is that I'm going to Tofino for a week and I have absolutely no money to spend there. So you're also going with your mom, though. So it's like, mom, I know, but I've just never like I've lived. I've been out of her house since I was 20. So just to like rely on your mom to pay for things is weird. I'm sure she's like laughing right now being like, okay, sure. But yeah, I mean, like, funny. And I like to laugh at myself in these situations. Like, money is just money. It's whatever. But I also like to share them because if, like, listeners maybe don't have money, maybe it's just, like, relatable to them right now that money is not needed to enjoy life. And you don't need it even to get lashes sometimes. It just works out in your favor as long as you manifest the right things. It's fine. I'm fine. <laughs> I don't know why I heard instead of lashes laid, you don't need money to get laid. But... <laughs> um that's also true. I think it's preferred. Yeah. You know, it's okay. Life experience over staying out of debt. <laughs> this is my motto for the <laughs> Maybe you need to talk to Jason Tartan. Do not listen to me. Do not. No, it is super relatable though. Like I've definitely been in those situations and I'm sure especially during these times with so much job loss and like people trying to figure out and pivot, it's definitely relatable. So I'm going to call yours a cute, but relatable this week. Thank you. But it was my psycho, but relatable, but like yeah. cute. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sid the sloth. Anywho, um, are you there? Are you with me, Bailey? It's the thoughts. It's the thoughts. It's, it's the, the thoughts, thoughts we, we have. have in the shower. <laughs> Shower thoughts. Shower thoughts. Okay, I have a really funny one, and I don't even know. Like, this is just so typical of my humor. <laughs> but the shower thought is just like really true. Is it take it? Is it? No, that's also really funny. Um, okay, now I have to quickly explain that. So I say this thing all the time. I'm like, all right, take it easy, and it's from a TikTok. I fully stole it from that, but it's funny because I, it's like. I say it to Bailey when we're leaving because there was this TikTok that said, when you say bye to your acquaintances or like your friends, not your best friends, you hug them goodbye and you're like, love you so much. Bye. But when you say bye to your like best friend who you spend so much time together and you guys don't hug every time because you see each other so much or talk so much, it's just like, all right, take it easy. So now I say that in front of Bailey all the single time. 
all the single time, all the time. <laughs> and she tries to say it, but she can't do the right accent every single time. And you guys probably don't even think this is funny, but I feel like it's relatable in the fact that you don't actually hug your best friend or say like a nice little goodbye every single time you leave them. I do. I mean, pre-COVID. Well, we don't. I guess. You sent me... Also, the story started with Jackie sending me this TikTok and me not getting it. I guess if you hug your friends. I guess I don't count as one of your friends then because you don't <laughs> hug me goodbye. <laughs> All right. Take it easy. Take it easy. All right. So back to my shower thought. That's completely just my humor. And you guys are going to probably think I'm a stupid idiot right now. But I just need to know, as my shower thought... What are snails even trying to do? What are they doing? What do they do, Bailey? Living? What do they do? They create slime. And you know what they do? They feed people. French people. Escargot. Oh, good one. It's a delicacy. Imagine. That's so sad. Your whole purpose of life as a living thing is to feed people. They have no other purpose. What are they trying to do? Just slime around? Just slime around. Honestly, that's what I feel I'm doing some days. Just sliming around. After I get off this, I'm going to Google what the purpose... Oh, you are. Land snails serve as an important role in the ecosystem. They eat very low on the food web as most land snails will consume rotting vegetation like moist leaf litter and also fungi and sometimes eat soil directly. So gardeners probably... But then also, why do gardeners use salt? To kill them. And why? But I thought that they, Google just told me they were helping. Hmm. Well, on that note, I think we should transition to the episode where it actually has useful, educational, and really important information in it. Besides me and Bailey's degenerate information that doesn't really help you at all. And this is why. You mean we're not making people smarter? What do you mean? <laughs> I think we just brought everybody's IQ points up like 10. By telling them what a snail does? I guess. You're welcome, friends. You can pass the SATs now. All right. We're on another level today. <laughs> when are we not? We didn't even talk about how we went to Kelowna this week. Yeah, you guys, we went to Kelowna this week. I just repeated what you said. Um, yeah, we went and we podcasted. I mean, I'm sure people saw because we storied, but we went and podcasted with Jillian Harris. So that episode is coming up next week. And then we also flipped it and interviewed her husband Justin Pasudo and got some tea and he's got a really cool story as well so some good episodes coming up and if there's anybody you want to hear on the podcast always let us know please let us know and shout out to our little chauffeur Nikki for driving us up because Bailey's Jeep crapped out on us the night before well not crapped out but made a noise and we didn't trust it on the highway so Nikki literally angel human on earth drove us up there for the day just to accompany us just to sit while we podcasted and then drove us home yeah literal angel love you Nick um go follow her at lil underscore nikki and she's also a really she's a tiktok star so go watch her if you haven't seen her three million view story that jackie and i are both in and talk about beverginos you're missing out you're not a real friendship if you haven't seen that okay friends well here is the episode we'll shut up now yeah wow sorry they're like get out of our ear holes oh i said ear holes i'm like bailey stanworth today wow okay enjoy the episode friends 
Okay, friendships, we're back with our guest. We have Dr. Matthew Nagra here. Um, he is a naturopathic, plant-based doctor. We're so excited to chat with you. You guys had so many questions for Matthew. So welcome to What Day Is It? Thanks for having me. We're really excited. Okay, we just want to dive in quickly. So can you give us a little background info about who you are, where you grew up, and what you do? Yeah, I'm from Vancouver Island, Qualicum Beach uh, specifically, although I've lived all over the island. That's just where I spent most of my time. Um, and when I was younger, I, you know, I was into sports and everything, but uh, I had certain health issues like asthma, allergies, and that sort of thing where um, eventually my personal trainer at the time actually kind of got me on the plant-based kick and, and got me to, to try some of that out. I did it for a little bit, not 100%, but you know, made some changes, and I noticed huge improvements. My asthma got tremendously better if not completely gone Uh, my allergies improved I started losing weight my skin cleared up and then I just since then spent more and more time looking into a lot of this and reading up on it and and doing that research and um, ultimately uh, found that that's what I wanted to do and you know help other people make the same sort of changes and take control of their health so I went into naturopathic medicine where I obviously do focus largely on nutrition I think it's so interesting though that your personal trainer was your first kind of introduction to plant-based because I feel like no personal trainer that I've ever come across has ever recommended that yeah yeah they're usually actually um when I joined the gym here um I go to club 16 I remember they have to do like an initiation thing where you go in they measure body fat and they you know they want to kind of sell you on personal training and the guy's going off on you know, I'm not going to get enough protein and stuff and then I just like I'm like look where are you getting your numbers from and we just went through it and I had to basically educate him on the whole thing uh but yeah so such a common uh, misconception and how long have you been plant-based now um, it's been like a hundred percent, about nine and a half, maybe nine three quarter years, something like that. Um, as far as when I started making the change, maybe more like twelve years ago. So yeah, I'm ve- I've been vegetarian for nine years now, but I've been vegan for two and a half. So yeah, which is insane because you guys started during a time when it was just not trendy. What there wasn't as many resources, there wasn't as much research done, or like plant based options out there. So I don't even know how you guys started it then. Well, yeah, I went straight from eating to vegan too. So like same kind of time as you nine years ago. I didn't last, but <laughs> yeah, and and I went. Um, I was at UVic. I, I was living in dorms. All I had was oh, gosh. You know, I had a food card where I could use the salad bar essentially, and then I had um, I had a Vitamix in my room and a mini fridge in my room, and I like survived on that for the longest time, at least for that first year. Insane. Good for you. <laughs> I've been to UVic, and their food card and their food cafeteria is not plant based. Let me tell you. <laughs> it's getting better though they are definitely improving now but uh, long after I left yeah not nine years ago yeah <laughs> so what does a day in the life look like for you uh well today's been really good because I'm off but uh normally I'll you know wake up have breakfast I'll go to work um I actually have early days I start at 8 a.m and then I'll be done by like 2 a lot of the time so uh, except Mondays I'm there late, but yeah, for the most part off pretty early, I'll go either work out. I've got kind of workout equipment at home now, given, you know, COVID-19 and all of that. Um, or I'll go for a run and then, you know, I'll have dinner. And then honestly, I, I spend most of my time doing more research into nutrition and writing on, on different topics. And I've been working on a book for a, a while now with, um, Dr. Michael Clapper, if you're aware of who he is, I've been getting some help from him and, um, and, you know, I, I play soccer again. That's kind of been put on hold with the current pandemic, but I, I love getting out and doing that or, or, you know, hanging out with friends in the evening, something like something along those lines. Can you take us through like a typical day of what you eat being plant-based? 
Yeah, um, I'll just tell you today. So breakfast, I had oatmeal. I do steel cut oats. I throw in frozen berries. Actually, that's a good tip for people. If you want to sweeten your oatmeal without adding a bunch of added sugars is you use frozen berries and you add it just when the oatmeal is kind of done cooking and it melts and it just totally flavors the oatmeal. Super good. I throw one banana in there as well, uh, ground flax seeds, amla berry powder. Amla is Indian gooseberry. Uh, It's very high antioxidant. Uh, Berry also helps uh, lower cholesterol levels and all of that as well. Um, so that'll be kind of my breakfast, uh, lunch today. I actually made a sandwich. I had, um, Silver Hills bread. I use their bread cause it's very whole foods, uh, um, very high fiber content, probably one of the healthiest, if not the healthiest out there. And then I did some Dijon mustard, um, avocado I spread on there. Um, uh, and then I, I made a tofu with hot sauce, paprika, turmeric, black pepper, and garlic powder. I want this sandwich. <laughs> that yeah. sounds so good. Yeah, and then, and then I just threw on, um, uh, I don't really have any lettuce here, so I threw on some, some kale, some sprouts, and uh, sliced up some tomatoes, and that was kind of the whole thing. It's really good. That sounds so good. Yeah. And then uh, dinner time, I mean, I'll snack at some point. My snacks will always be fruit or, or sometimes some nuts, or I've got like dried figs here. I love those. Um, and then for dinner, I don't know what I'll do tonight, but last night I had kind of uh, roasted veggies, I guess. I did butternut squash, uh, a whole bunch of mixed vegetables, just all sorts, whatever I had, and then chickpeas. And then I roasted them with, uh, or um, yeah, roasted them with a bunch of different uh, Italian herbs and, and just threw it on there. I don't really follow recipes. I just kind of wing it, whatever I've got, I'll, I'll use Yeah, it. I'm the same with whatever's in my kitchen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's easy enough. Spices are key though. Yeah. You've got to have a lot of spices. Yeah, spices and herbs make everything. But then I finished the night with uh, like banana, blueberry, ice cream I made myself was just frozen blueberries, a few dates and frozen banana. Mm. I want a little bit bit of soy milk. The dessert girl in me is just dying right now. That sounds so good. Um, Okay. We always ask our guests this and it kind of throws them off, but what is something you do every day that most people would guess you probably don't do? (laughs) I was going to say, people would probably guess most of the things that I do all the time. Um, one thing I don't, and actually I'll, I'll just, I'll throw this out there today because it's totally true. Um, so my favorite band is ACDC and they just released a teaser for their new album coming up uh, today. So I spent the whole morning learning to play it on guitar. <laughs> um, nice. And uh, uh, yeah, I listen to them every single day. It's, it's rare that a day doesn't go by, whether it's during workouts, driving to work, whatever. What's um, your favorite ACDC song? Uh, I've got two. So I've got Back in Black uh, from the Back in Black album. And then I've got If You Want Blood from the Highway to Hell album. And you play guitar every day? Um, I would say so. It's kind of like my break. You know, if I'm busy writing or, or researching for a patient or whatever, I've done it for a while. I need a little five, 10 minute break. I'll pick up the guitar and, and play away at it. Cool. Okay. Well, look, you may have answered the next question, but um, <laughs> do you have any daily rituals or habits that you try to maintain to keep you sane, even on some really busy days that you squeeze in there no matter what? Um, aside from guitar, like that's not something I have to do, but, uh, something I do have to do, I would say is some kind of movement. Even if, uh, if I'm not feeling like working out, um, I go down to the park, I'll, I'll go for a walk around. It takes about you know 45 minutes to an hour to, to go around the whole place or, um, or I'll work out or I'll you know, play soccer or I'll run or I'll do some kind of movement for sure. Nice. Um, okay. So we're going to really just like dive into everything here. So to kind of like start off, how did you really get into naturopathic? Like you 
told us what kind of got you to that point of wanting to do it, but like take us through your education, like how that looked like and what made you want to specialize in the plant-based lifestyle. Yeah. So I did, um, I did my bachelor's in microbiology at UVic and one of my professors actually had uh, some naturopathic uh, doctors, two of them that she saw. And she uh, recommended that I go shadow them. She knew I was kind of interested in the health field. She knew I loved nutrition and that sort of thing. And so we went to, or I, I went and shadowed her to um, uh, docs for a little bit. And I just found that there was so much more to it than what I thought. Like most of the, the public really doesn't know how much we can do. Like we're, we're very well trained in physical therapies, for example. And so I do work with athletic populations, given that I'm an athlete myself. Um, but then when I went in there, they had one, uh, one of the doctors was working on really ill patients, like cancer patients, a lot of the time as an adjunct onto their regular conventional therapies. And then the, um, the wife actually, as a, as a couple, um, she was doing more of the nutrition counseling and the mental emotional stuff. And, and I just started realizing, wow, there's like a really big toolkit here and there's so many different things you can do. So I um, yeah, d- decided uh, to, to go that route after seeing that versus um, like, I mean, I, I love you know, conventional medicine as well. And, and I thought about going that route. But knowing how much of a focus I wanted to place on lifestyle and diet, I just didn't think at the time it was the, the right option for me to go that route. So um, that's kind of what drew me to it. And then plant-based nutrition was through my personal experience and, and uh, the research I've done on that, which I'm sure we'll get to. Were those doctors that you shadowed into plant-based stuff as well? Um, one of them certainly was. Actually, it was so funny because uh, I went to shadow and I, was, I didn't know very much at the time. Like She knew I knew a bit about nutrition. Uh, but she would have patients and she'd start asking me like, well, what would you do? Like right in front of the patient, and I'd be put on the spot where also I'm not supposed to give advice because I'm just, you know, I'm just a student at that point. Um, but like uh, she was definitely far more interested in the nutrition side of things. And so we, we chatted a lot in between patients about all of that. And, and um, you know, I thought, hey, maybe I can even help her learn a little bit more about this at, at some point as well. That's really cool. I feel like I, you probably think back and wonder if you never got to shadow those people where you would be yeah, today. Yeah. Um, what has your journey been like with being plant-based? Like, has it been a struggle or has it been really easy for you? Um, I never found it hard to be honest, even traveling like back nine, 10 years ago, whatever. I never found it even hard with traveling. I I thought it's really easy to pack your own stuff. Um, you kind of know after a little bit what you're going to look for. When I traveled, I would always want to go to a grocery store if there's one near the hotel or wherever I'm staying and, and just pick up a few things as long as you've got that backup of like, okay, if I don't have anything else, I've got some fruit and nuts and and whatever hanging around. Nowadays, you can go way beyond that. You know, you can get all the packaged vegan food. But back then, like, as long as I had that safety net, I never worried about it. I thought it was super easy. Um, And I actually did a lot of like early on raw food dieting and, and I worked at a raw food restaurant. So I learned a lot of cool, you know, tricks and, and tips around that as well. And um, and that was certainly a little bit more challenging when it comes to travel and all of that. But, um, but yeah, no, a whole foods, plant-based diet uh, or any kind of vegan diet, usually super easy. I, yeah, I feel like it's easy as long as you commit yourself to it. Yeah. Yeah. As long as you know, I mean, once you know that, okay, these are the sections of the grocery store I'm going into, it's really not hard. Right? Yeah. I also think for me, like I went in waves of doing it and it was always because I didn't have like a really like a purpose behind it. Like I didn't really know it was driving me to be vegan. I just kept hearing it come up and it was trendy, but I didn't have the education or like know internally why I wanted to do it. And then when I really like broke it down, I was like, well, I love animals. Like this is a big thing for me. And then like I had more education on the science behind it that helped it stick more too. I found. Yeah, it definitely does. That's the thing. 
I mean, I obviously talk a lot about the health side of, of everything and there's a tremendous health benefits, but is there a health benefit between, you know, 97% plant-based and hundred percent? I mean, you're, we're never going to have that study. It will never be done. It's a waste of money to do that, right? We've got other things we need to deal with. Um, so in that case, well, that extra 3%, that's an ethical choice, right? That's because I choose not to contribute to all of that, that, that goes on in the industry and, and, uh, you know, the environmental impact and all of that. Um, as long as you have those reasons for making the change that you are, I think it's really easy to stick with. It's that little reminder that you need. You said that you kind of went um, like full plant-based for nine years. Was there a period where you were still like kind of in between and then like what made you really go full force with it? No. So nine and a half or whatever years is when I went a hundred percent, right? Okay. A couple years prior to that, I was transition, you know, I never tried, but sometimes it would be a full week. I'd be a hundred percent. And then the next week I'd have some I don't know, chicken or whatever it was, but it was, so when I went to university, I, um, I was quite healthy. I was eating a, a largely plant-based diet and, and I, was, I was very health conscious. And then, you know, being, I don't know, I was being away from home or whatever, but I started to, you know, eat more cafeteria food and I'd be drinking like every weekend, you know, like most first year college students. Um, and, I noticed, at least in my second term, that my health was definitely sliding the other way. I was still probably far healthier than most of the people around there, but but I could tell I wasn't feeling 100% anymore. If I, maybe I was only 80% or 75%. Um, and one day, I was sitting in the cafeteria. This was February 24th, 2011. I remember, um, and I was around for lunch with all of my, my friends, and I had chicken on my plate, too. And I was just thinking about it. I was like, you know what? I think I'm just going to go hundred percent. Like, I just don't feel like doing this anymore. And it was just, uh, my friends are like, no way. Like it's not happening. But, um, yeah, right there on the spot, I, I made the change. I never looked back. So that was, that was the day. That's really cool that you remember it like to the day. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when you're working with someone or like people ask you about plant-based lifestyle, like where do you typically start? Like, what do you think is the best way to kind of intro it? Um, so are we saying in this case that it's someone asking me, like about it because they want to make the change or is this like if I'm just talking to somebody randomly and it happens to come up maybe just talking to somebody randomly like they don't really have any education on plant-based lifestyle they've heard about like veganism they just heard all the myths and all that stuff like where do you kind of start okay so that'll depend on the person if it's somebody who's say they're bringing up something about like protein or soy or whatever I'll, I'll target those right um generally with the younger population it's more environmentally driven and I'll go that route um, but a lot of the times it comes down to like people inside, they do want to make this change. They're already on board. They have just this contradiction in their head where, you know, it's okay to do this to a, to a pig or to a chicken, but it's not okay to do it to a dog. Or, and, and so a lot of the times, if something comes up around veganism, I think that's a really good way to put it. Like, what is the difference, right? What makes that action different? regarding a pig or a chicken versus a dog. And a lot of times they'll say things like intelligence. Well, pig's smarter than a dog. Um, I mean, like pigs are as smart as three-year-old children when it comes to problem solving. Um, And and so they start to realize that, you know what, there's actually nothing there. I don't have, there's no real distinction other than if they want to say, oh, it looks different, right? And, And I mean, that's a huge rabbit hole to go down to. So I like to, I like to point out that people already kind of have these values and that it's an arbitrary distinction. There's no, there's nothing there to actually differentiate uh, those sorts. If again, we're talking about the ethical side, um, but I, it's totally driven my conversations by what the person is actually interested in and what they're bringing up. 
Okay, if somebody comes with the typical vegan question, but where do you get your protein? Or like, I'm not going to get enough protein. What do you say to that? Um, first I ask how much protein they need or they think they need. Um, a lot of the times people don't have a clue. They just think they need more. Um, well, if we're a bodybuilder, let's, let's say we're talking about bodybuilders, even they need 1.6 grams per kilogram of body weight. If I want to be generous, it's 2.2 grams per kilogram of body weight. That is, um, that's going to be very difficult to to do on any diet. That's something that you're probably going to have to supplement regardless. Now, if you're talking about the average person eating 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight, well, that's incredibly easy. In fact, vegans get more protein for their body weight than omnivores do. And the reason is because vegans are leaner, right? They tend to be lower body weight. They tend to, they're the only group to maintain an average healthy body weight. Um, and so the, that concern is completely squashed. The other one that comes up is, well, it's more digestible or it's more absorbable. There are two scales that are used for protein digestibility. There's the PDCAS and the DAS. Now, the first one, the PDCAS, that's based on digestibility in rats. Um, they measure, they feed them different foods and they measure how much comes out the other end and however, what the difference is, that's how much they absorb. Then there's the DAS score, which is done in pigs. And it's sort of the same thing, but they actually insert a tube and they remove the food from the end of the small intestine. Quite graphic. Uh, you don't need to go there. You can look <laughs> up pictures if you want, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, they show you how, how they do it. And, um, and again, that's better, but it's still not, the, not what happens in humans. And the other issue is they use raw foods. I mean, for fruits, vegetables, and whatever, that's fine. But we tend to cook our grains and we tend to cook our legumes, right? That massively increases digestibility. So we have human data on digestibility using properly prepared foods. And the difference is a few percent. It's negligible. It's the difference of eating 20 grams of protein at a meal or 20.5 grams of protein at a meal, right? Nobody's counting that. It doesn't really matter. And we have, um, uh, we have studies comparing pea, rice, or soy protein to whey protein, which is a highly digestible um, animal protein, and no difference in strength or muscle outcomes, which is what we care about, right? We care, is it going to lead to more strength? Is it going to lead to more muscle mass? And it doesn't. So these are all just, it, it's all based on this idea that, that animal proteins are somehow superior. But when you actually look at the data, specifically in humans, I will clarify, which is what we care about, there is no difference. So all of these concerns are completely uh, null. They don't really matter. And um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll run them through that. And we can go through actually complete proteins too. That's another thing. People think plant proteins are lacking amino acids. Well, guess what? Collagen is lacking tryptophan. It's actually an incomplete protein. And everybody's taking that nowadays. All plants contain all of the essential amino acids in varying amounts. So if you're eating an overall varied diet, If you're not just eating rice for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day, you're getting enough protein and you're getting all your amino acids. So yeah, it's, it's way overdone. It is completely a garbage argument. It doesn't mean anything. (laughs) So interesting. (laughs) I'm just going to, when people ask me, I'm just going to be like, go listen to this episode of our podcast. (laughs) Okay. So I know we kind of touched on how you started, well, you became full vegan probably nine years ago. But like at that time, it wasn't mainstream, and now it's become very mainstream in the last couple of years. Why do you think that's happened? Where do you think the shift changed? Um, I think uh, there's been more more education around the environmental crisis, for sure. A lot of people are becoming more aware. Um, I know when we had the big climate marches here in Vancouver, a lot of people were were promoting you know signs saying you know animal agriculture is responsible for X, Y, and Z, and we should make that change as well. So I think that's huge. The other one is convenience, right? We have companies like um, Beyond Meat, 
going crazy. We have restaurants like Meat on Main, Gastown, Yaletown, uh, Virtuous Pie. We've got Mila, which is just open. It's constant. We keep getting new restaurants because people understand that it's shifting, right? The, the, the demand raises the supply. So um, I think it's multiple factors, but I do believe it largely starts with the environmental impact and then you know, all the documentaries and everything else on top of that just add to it. Do you, like, I guess I'm asking, because I eat plant-based for the most part, mm-hmm. is it bad for you if you're not doing it 100%? Like, will you not see benefits? No, so there's, it's a stepwise change. So we actually have, um, we have data on Seventh-day Adventists. They're one of the healthiest populations in the world who are just healthy for religious reasons. They don't really drink, they don't smoke, uh, they eat predominantly plant-based. But within the Adventist populations, there's non-vegetarians, um, uh, semi-vegetarians or like flexitarian kind of, uh, pesco-vegetarians, lacto-ovo-vegetarians, and the vegans. Now, when we look at markers of like, like say diabetes, well, as you make the transition towards vegan, your risk goes down. So it's like a stepwise, you know, a ladder kind of you're going down there. Um, we see similar things with even um, all-cause mortality. So that's just death by any cause. We see that, yeah, the vegan and vegetarians do the best, but we also know that pescatarians do excellent. And um, so it's, it's, again, it's just a, a, a transition. And, and actually that last statistic, the, the vegans and vegetarians from uh, British uh, vegans in particular, uh, we see, tend to see that because there's been a lot of studies on them. Hmm. Yeah, I always say like whether it's environmental or it's health Mm -hmm. or like whatever, you don't have to be a black or white vegan. Like you can take steps and do like meatless Mondays or however you want to kind of contribute. Like that's still going to make a change. And then slowly as you see how it feels for you, like you can start doing more and more. And then that's even just going to be a bigger benefit. Yeah. And it's important to note that that the term vegan, right, it's not diet. There's nothing to do with diet. It's a moral philosophy. It's a, it's a moral ethical stance, right? That's, that's the uh, dedication essentially to contributing to the least amount of harm possible. Um, it doesn't actually take into account health and environment and all of that. That's, that's secondary. That's a whole different topic. And that's why we use the term plant-based when it comes to nutrition. Can you break down the science behind a plant-based diet and what, why it really is such a valuable way of eating? Um, oh, that can be a long lecture. <laughs> uh, so like I said, uh, we know that vegans and vegetarians tend to have survival benefits. We also know they tend to have lower risk of heart disease, uh, type 2 diabetes. In fact, people with heart disease or type 2 diabetes who adopt plant-based diets can significantly re- reverse or sorry, not re- reduce their risk of having say a subsequent heart attack in the, in the case of heart disease or in type two diabetes actually get off their medications in a lot of cases. Um, so we know it can be beneficial, not just for preventing, but actually, um, you know, improving conditions. Now on, on the, the reasons why that is, well, there are several, obviously increased intake of fiber, fruits, uh, vegetables, all the vitamins, um, minerals that come along with that. But we know that animal foods, the higher consumption of those, especially the red meats, um, lead to a higher risk of mortality, higher risk of many of these diseases. That's due partially to the saturated fat content, the heme iron content. And just this year, there are three separate studies that are, yeah, three separate large scale studies looking at um, uh, animal protein intake and plant protein intake. And again, animal protein intake leads to higher risk of disease plant protein intake leads to lower risk of disease or or death by any cause. And they did a substitution analysis in one of these, which is where they actually look at what would happen if you substituted a part of your diet with another food. So substituting just 3% of your calories, which is really nothing from animal proteins with plant-based proteins, lowered mortality risk. That's such a small shift to make. 
And actually, when they look at specific foods, it was red meat, I believe, if you substitute them with plant proteins, and eggs, actually. If you substitute eggs with plant-based proteins, you can further um, reduce your mortality risk. So um, it's twofold. It's A, increased intake of all these beneficial compounds, and B, decreased intake of compounds that are potentially harmful to health. But that is specific to whole plant foods, right? Fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, nuts, and seeds. I'm not talking about all the, the processed, uh, you know, refined grains and refined uh, um, flours and all that. I'm actually super curious to ask you about eggs because I feel like a lot of people, we've been fed, like I still today on TV see like all these commercials about how eggs are so good for you. Like, can you kind of talk about what those are doing to our body and how reducing your egg intake is actually beneficial to your health? Yeah, so eggs, um, the primary concern there, and there are others, the high choline, for example, in eggs, the high choline content can raise risk of type 2 diabetes, we know that, but um, the big one is the cholesterol, it's a sack of cholesterol, essentially, and now there's there's conflicting uh, views out there around whether cholesterol is harmful or not, and I'll just explain where that comes from. So saturated fat, which we're going to get from more meats, uh, and if you're having coconut oil or palm oil, those count as well, um, they're going to significantly raise heart disease risk. With cholesterol that you're consuming, it also raises risk, but not quite as much and not as consistently. Instead of being a, a linear association, it's, it's like a curve. It, it's a, it plateaus out at higher intakes. Right? So when you do a study on the average American population who's already eating a fair amount of cholesterol and you look at what happens by adding more to it, you're actually not going to see anything because they've already plateaued out. They've already peaked as far as their risk goes. When you look at populations, A, consuming lower uh, amounts of cholesterol or no cholesterol in the case of, say, a vegan, and you add more eggs to their their diet, their heart disease risk is going to go up. And that's because you're adding cholesterol to nothing, right? So you have to consider those. And we actually have a really great study from last year that actually looked at what a significant increase in egg consumption does. And lo and behold, it increases cardiovascular disease and uh, all-cause mortality risk. So um, that's kind of where the controversy comes from. And again, this is a topic I could go down you know, talk about for ages, but that's kind of the, the simple explanation for it. Does that make sense? Yeah. What about the, I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate with what people are probably thinking at home. Like what about just egg whites? Um, so egg whites are going to be a better option for sure. Um, again, going back to that protein substitution I talked about, that is the egg white, uh, but it comes packaged with all the cholesterol. So you can't really isolate it. Uh, when it comes to egg whites, as far as we know, it's probably not the worst thing in the world, but at the same time, we know that animal protein has all of these you know, uh, associations with various conditions. It's, it's kind of a gamble. I would say we don't have solid data on it. I'd rather not gamble. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So you already busted the protein myth. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like there's a couple other big ones for plant-based lifestyle, one being like B12 and another one being iron. So a lot of people obviously like I brew so easily and people are like, Oh, you should eat some meat. And I'm just like, can you touch on that a little bit? Cause I'm really like, I would love to know how I should educational wise respond to that. Yeah. Um, so vegans, vegetarians do not have higher risk of iron deficiency anemia. That is completely false. Um, and the reason is, well, we, there's two types of irons, right? There's heme iron, which you get from animals and there's non heme iron, which you get from plants. Now, that heme iron from animals, you absorb a very consistent amount of it, regardless. Whereas with the plant-based iron, the non-heme iron, if you're low in iron, you absorb more. If you're high in iron, you absorb less. So we regulate absorption. And the reason we do is because iron is very oxidative and inflammatory. It's not good for you to have too much of it, uh, which is why heme iron from animals is associated, again, with you know, heart disease, 
breast cancer, colorectal cancer, type 2 diabetes, the list goes on. Um, so when you're low in iron, you absorb more. And then if you add vitamin C to the mix for non-heme iron, that plant-based iron, you further boost absorption to the level where it's just about the same as what you would get from red meat. It's very equivalent. And other boosters on top of that are things like garlic and onion. They can also help boost absorption. Um, so for these reasons, uh, at least largely for these reasons, we don't see an increased risk in, in uh, iron deficiency in plant-based populations. On top of that, plant-based eaters tend to eat way more iron. We actually have studies on like Swiss populations, for example, where they eat twice as much iron. And that's because plant foods contain tons of iron, all your legumes, your dark greens, even if you're not absorbing as much. Even if, again, I'm generous, I say you're only absorbing half of it, right? You're still going to have the same amount of iron because the, the meat eaters are on average eating about half as much iron. Uh, of course, iron deficiency is a major cause for concern the world over. It's the number one nutrient deficiency, but it seems to really be prevalent in places where they're malnourished, whether simply, uh, you know, third world countries, they don't have access to, to food and they're eating a lot of just plain rice and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, the, the iron deficiency thing is completely false. And then what about like energy levels in B12? Yeah, so B12 is something absolutely should be supplemented. Um, B12 is made by bacteria. It's not made by animals or plants. Um, animals, though, like ruminant animals like cows, for example, they have bacteria in their gut. They use the cobalt from the soil that they consume, and they produce B12 out of it. Um, certain other animals like pigs and chickens, which are fed grains most of the time, they aren't even eating their proper diet, um, they're actually supplemented with B12. In fact, 55% of all the B12 that's produced goes to livestock. So people who are eating animals for B12 are actually taking a supplement. They just don't know it. Crazy. Um, so I'd ra- yeah, I'd rather go straight to the source. Just take a B12 supplement. It's cheap. It's one of the cheapest supplements on the planet. If you order cyanocobalamin, which is the cheapest version, you could get off on like a few dollars a year if you wanted. Um, so it's just not worth the risk. Take it. Deficiencies can lead to anemia. Again, low energy can lead to nerve issues, dementia, um, all sorts of serious uh, uh, issues. So yeah, it's just super easy to take and not just for vegans, but for anybody who's even say a flexitarian or, or even predominantly plant-based and after age 50, everybody, regardless of diet should be taking B12. And that's from the Institute of Medicine. And that's because their absorption of B12 goes uh, down with age. As a naturopath, um, do you have any recommendations for like iron? Like if someone is lower in iron or maybe experiencing lower energy, like I definitely, I know that I do have an iron deficiency. Me too. (laughs) Jackie's jumping in there too. And I'm sure quite a few of our listeners do as well. So I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So I would first, I want to clear up that if you have a low ferritin, which is your stored iron, but your hemoglobin and red blood cells are fine it's hard to say that you have an iron deficiency. That's, that's, it's sort of a, a yeah, it's, it's not the best diagnosis in that case. Typically, to reduce disease risk, we actually want a low ferritin, a relatively low ferritin, say in the range of 20 to 40 or so for women, um, but a normal hemoglobin blood cell count. Um, if you're still feeling fatigued and your blood counts and everything are fine, I'm going to say it's probably not the iron. There are other things we need to look at. We need to look at thyroid function, overall uh, nutrition, stress, sleep, all these other things. Uh, but let's assume for a second that it is iron deficiency and we want to deal with that. Well, I would start with diet. These are, um, and again, if you're not anemic, if your red blood cells and hemoglobin aren't low, in that case, I would supplement at least short term. But if that's all fine and, and you just think you might be on the low end, well, um, whole grains, legumes, um, specifically oats as far as whole grains go, all the legumes are going to be great. Dark greens, um, not so much spinach, Swiss chard, or beet greens because they're high in oxalate, so you don't 
probably absorb as much, but kale, collards, all those other greens are going to be good sources. And then always pair them with vitamin C um, if you can, and then you know, onions and garlic if you want to further boost uh, absorption. And don't consume them with uh, tea or coffee. Those are actually going to decrease absorption. And actually, grapes may decrease absorption as well because of the, the polyphenols in there. So um, those are some of the main ones. Yeah, chocolate, it's kind of debatable, might also decrease absorption, but it's also high in iron. So it's hard to say whether it really has a net effect. Um, but those are a few of the, the kind of tips and tricks that people can try. You're saying just when you're eating those iron rich foods don't drink coffee at the same you don't have to give up chocolate jackie <laughs> at, at the same time i was gonna say i need my coffee every day and my chocolate yeah. every now and then yeah yeah so. probably want to separate it like by an hour or so but okay okay that's reasonable that's, i didn't know that that's interesting so is there any deficiencies that you do kind of tend to see correlated to a plant-based lifestyle no um so we have again like i said we have nutrient not just intake studies. So nutrient intake studies are where they look at what people are consuming, but we have nutrient status studies where they actually measure blood levels and they see what the difference is. Uh, typically the only nutrient that the, the vegans seem to come out worse on is, um, is zinc. And that's because zinc is, is less bioavailable from plants. So these are foods like hemp seeds, pumpkin seeds, lentils. You want to make sure you're including, or other legumes, you want to make sure you're including them regularly. Uh, and again, eating with onion or garlic boosts absorption. That's weird for pumpkin seeds and all that, but for, for lentils or legumes anyway, it's really easy to pair that with onion or garlic uh, to boost absorption. Um, the one that every diet group is deficient in is iodine, and that comes from sea vegetables or, or seafood. Again, if we're not eating seafood, you want to be eating dulse, nori, wakame, sea lettuce, these different sea vegetables, or just take a supplement or if you're using any salt in your food, make sure it's iodized salt. The problem is nowadays everyone's doing the pink Himalayan salt and all that, which isn't iodized. So you want to make sure your salt is iodized, which most, most table salts are and certain sea salts are. And iodine's linked to thyroid, right? Or what does iodine kind of do in the body? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's important for thyroid function. Yeah. Um, and actually, there's the concerns around our goitrogens like, um, like you know, broccoli or soy. Are they bad for thyroid? They are only bad for thyroid function if you're iodine deficient or low in iodine. So as long as your iodine status is up, you're good there. Um, and then on the other side, for meat eaters, the ones they're typically deficient in, again, iodine for them. Um, and then folate, folic acid, which comes for predominantly from greens. And they tend to be lower with vitamin C as well, which makes sense. But it's really hard to be vitamin C deficient nowadays. So it's really bad if you are. Um, uh, but we see typically either equivalent or far better nutrition in plant-based eaters because on top of those micronutrients, plant-based eaters have less saturated fat, more polyunsaturated fats, no cholesterol, higher fiber intake, and these are all just going to add to the benefit. So interesting because society is just pushing Himalayan salt on us right now, and I know you just touched on that. It's like, how are we supposed to know what is the right way to go, honestly? Because I have both salts. I mean, you can get iodized sea salt, or I think even some Himalayan salt, you can get iodized, but that's the thing. You want to make sure it's iodized because um, otherwise, uh, we typically want to be limiting salt anyway, but if you're going to use salt, you might as well use the one with iodine because you probably need it. Totally. You're going to kill me with my salts from the dollar store. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not iodized. <laughs> um, okay. I know we've talked or touched on a bit of how adopting a plant-based diet can kind of lower certain disease risks or correct kind of reverse them slowly but is there any we didn't touch on like for example arthritis cancer anxiety 
Yeah. Um, so actually anxiety is a good one. Well, I'll start, I'll finish with that one. Um, so for one that I want to mention is Alzheimer's disease, actually. So vegans and vegetarians have a far lower risk of Alzheimer's disease and those who eat predominantly plant-based, like even a Mediterranean style diet have protection against Alzheimer's right now. There's actually a trial under underway to see if a strictly plant-based diet can help with Alzheimer's disease and people who already have it but we won't have the results for a little while. So we got to wait for that. But ultimately we do know that it benefits and that's largely again, due to the low saturated fat, the high antioxidant potential. We know berry consumption alone can help with brain function. Um, so that's one. Uh, what else do you mention there? You mentioned certain cancers. Well, prostate cancer, actually a plant-based diet may slow the progression of prostate cancer. And that's obviously really important. Same with colorectal cancer. If you're limiting red meat, we know that red meat and processed meat are some of the biggest risk factors for colorectal cancer. Um, soy consumption can help with both prostate and breast cancer, oh, as well as endometrial cancer and a variety of other cancers as well. Okay, actually, sorry, I want to interrupt. You said soy can help because I feel like soy gets such a bad rap, especially with estrogen and like breast cancer. So can you touch on that a bit? Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. And then I'll finish with anxiety. Yeah, no, I definitely want to touch on anxiety too. Yeah. Uh, so soy foods contain phytoestrogens in them, which are, they mimic and structure estrogen to a certain extent, but they're one one thousandth the strength. They're far weaker than our own estrogens. Um, and they also bind to different receptors in the body, or they prefer to bind to different receptors in our body, which leads them to having different effects. For example, the receptors that they prefer to bind to are really concentrated on bone tissue. And what happens to women after menopause? Bone mineral density goes down because estrogen levels are low. Well, soy consumption actually decreases risk of osteoporosis for that reason. Um, on top of that, in breast tissue, it actually has different effects than our own estrogens. It dampens the estrogen response. It goes the other way. So it actually protects against breast cancer. Women, it doesn't matter if you're looking at European, Asian, American populations. In every case, soy consumption reduces breast cancer risk. And this is traditional soy consumption. It's not like, like people always want to make the argument that, oh, well, were they using fermented soy? Were they using that? No, most of the time it's tofu, to be honest. Like mm -hmm. that, that's the, the one when you look at specific foods, most of the time it's tofu. Um, and so beneficial across the board, even in women with the BRCA1 or BRCA2 gene mutations would put them at higher risk of breast cancer. They benefit from soy consumption wow. and women who have previously battled breast cancer have higher survival rates if they consume more soy. So soy is just beneficial across the board for breast cancer. On top of that, it can help with menopausal symptoms like hot flashes. Mm -hmm. So, uh, there's no reason to not consume it. And I already mentioned prostate cancer and endometrial cancer and all these other benefits plus half a cup of of tofu, uh, a firm tofu will get you over half your calcium needs in one day. Um, same with, uh, I think it's two cups of soy milk will do the same. They're massive sources of protein. Uh, I think half a cup of tofu is around 23, maybe 25 grams. Um, two cups of soy is probably around 14 to 16 grams. Again, this is off the top of my head, so I might be slightly off on those, but uh, they're just nutrition powerhouses. Um, so yeah, soy is getting a bad rep for nothing. And actually where that comes from is there are rodent studies. So you take rats, you feed them, high amounts of the isolated isoflavone, the isolated phytoestrogen, really high concentrations, and they run into problems. Um, again, we're not rats and we aren't doing that, right? We're consuming whole soy. The other one is there are two case studies on men. So these were men who consumed uh, in the ballpark of 12 to 20 servings of soy a day, and they experienced some breast growth. So that was a lot of soy. Nobody's recommending that amount of soy. Typically, we're recommending the top out around three or five servings a day because like they were consuming a, a lead or no, a gallon, four liters of soy milk a day, plus other soy products on top of that, which is just ridiculous. It's crazy. 
And, um, and like I said, that was just two people. We've got clinical trials where you feed people soy, men and women, and you measure their hormone levels, and there is zero impact on any of their you know, estrogen, testosterone, any of those hormones, um, regardless. So there is no reason to avoid soy. The fear out there is just, I don't know where it comes from. It, it, I mean, it's probably the meat industry, honestly, trying to spin. You, know? you heard it here, friends. Don't be afraid of tofu and soy and all that good stuff. Do not. Before we change to anxiety talk, I just want to ask, how do you know if you're consuming? I think I struggled with finding a tofu at the store that is good. And I see that in quotation marks because some are processed, some aren't. So what should you look for when you're purchasing tofu at your grocery store? Tofu um, is always going to be minimally processed. That's why it removes a bit of the fiber in in making tofu as well as uh, uh, maybe removing some of the minerals. But uh, just any, like, they're all, any soy, essentially, or any tofu you get for human consumption, it's going to be non-GMO. It's going to be, it's going to be totally fine for consumption. Go for organic if you want. Uh, I don't really, yeah, it it doesn't matter too much there. But then you can get, if you want, like, the firmer sprouted tofu. You can get tempeh if you want even less processed. Um, They have the whole beans there, and it's fermented. That might even be a little bit of a better option. Uh, but ultimately, in whatever way you want, whether it's soy milk, tofu, tempeh, edamame, it doesn't matter. Um, it's just a healthy option either way. Friends, if you're just starting out on your tofu journey, get extra firm. Yeah, just yeah. Just do that. <laughs> 100%. Extra firm. Or if you're making tofu scramble, the oh, medium firm. So good. I love a tofu scramble. Okay, dive into this anxiety talk. Yeah, I feel like so many people are struggling with this right now. So how can plant-based diet help? The reason I want to bring that up is because last year there was a, or actually it might have been early this year, honestly, it all blends together now, but um, there was a a paper that came out suggesting that those who abstain from meat have higher risk of uh, anxiety and depression, uh, mental, mental health issues. Yeah. But what happened was, so you look at these studies and they just found this association and it wasn't one study. It was what you call a meta-analysis. So they combined different studies and they, they kind of calculated it all out and they found that it increased risk. Well, I went into the top studies, the, rank, the studies that they ranked as the highest. And those studies actually found that the anxiety or, or depression or whatever the mental health concern was came first. So they were struggling with mental health issues and then they adopted a, a more plant-based diet afterwards. It wasn't that the plant-based diet led to mental health issues. It was, it was either that they wanted to deal with it by cleaning up their diet or, and this is probably more likely, there was some kind of common factor. Maybe people who are more likely to struggle with things like anxiety are also people who are more aware of the, you know, the, the mass suffering that goes on in the world or, or, or they're more compassionate or empathetic people. And it's totally possible that that's the case. Now, we have three randomized controlled trials, or two of them were randomized controlled. One was just a clinical trial where they took people. Um, they put you know, half of them on a, on a plant-based diet, strictly plant-based diet, and half of them on or just continued with their, their daily lives. And um, after a period of time, they actually measure what happens with their uh, anxiety and depression scores. And they do questionnaires for all of this. And the plant-based diet improved it. So when we actively change someone's diet they, um, they, uh, to a plant-based diet, they seem to benefit as far as mental health is concerned. And to go on, on that even further, we have data suggesting that higher fruit and vegetable consumption increases uh, mental health as well. So um, these concerns around anxiety or depression uh, with plant-based diets, they're just based on really flawed data. And uh, when you look at what happens when you actually change your diet to a plant-based diet, it's just benefit. Um, so, you know, if anyone, and I don't want to make it seem like, you know, it's the answer to anxiety or depression. It's not, there are so many things going on. I think counseling is huge. I think you know, self-care is huge, stress management, uh, but the diet can only help. When people are skeptical of plant-based lifestyles, like 
where do you kind of start? I'm sure that that would be a little more specific as to why they're skeptical and you would ask that question. Um, but what are some of the most, maybe the most common skeptical reasons that people don't adopt it and how do you kind of help them understand it? Um, there's a couple. So, I mean, most of them we've probably already hit on like protein and that sort of thing. Um, I find that food cost is a big one. People think it's going to be more expensive, uh, but it's just really not. I've actually made social media posts on this. And um, when you look at, so let's say the Canada food guide, the newest one is really plant forward, plant-based. Um, they actually did studies on what would happen to grocery bills if people were to adopt it, because a lot of people were concerned about costs associated with the, the, um, the food guide. And they found that it would improve costs. Similarly, in uh, U.S. data, we have uh, data from America as well, suggesting that the more plant-based people eat, the, the cheaper their grocery bills end up being. And that's because we look at a serving of beans, for example, which is a staple. It, you just can never, it's going to be like a quarter of the cost of even cheap meat, right? It's going to be incredibly, if you're buying dry beans specifically, same with whole grains. Those are the staples, right? You use the whole grains, you use the legumes as a staple of your meals, and you add all the vegetables and the spices and everything on top of that to, to kind of round out the meal. It's super, super cost effective. Where it gets expensive is with the mock meats, the faux cheeses, the eating out at all the restaurants and that kind of thing. And, um, and I think a lot of us might have actually felt it during COVID that we were saving money on a lot of that because we weren't eating out so much. Uh, I know I noticed that too. Um, 100%. <laughs> yeah, nice benefit. But yeah, plant-based diets are just incredibly cost effective. It doesn't really matter where you're from. These foods are going to be the cheapest pretty much regardless. Oh yeah, my grocery bills like tofu is like two fifty to like four dollars compared to a pack of chicken that's like twenty bucks. It's insane. Yeah, that's like a whole block of tofu too. Like that's a lot. It lasts a while, and it doesn't go bad as fast, which is really nice. What would you say if someone came in or like contacted you and they were looking for the top three tips to start adopting that plant based diet? Top three tips. Um, I like to focus more on what we should eat versus what we shouldn't. So um, I would usually start with breakfast. So I would just you know give a couple of breakfast options. Try oatmeal, try tofu scramble, maybe give a couple recipes for them. Um, uh, try smoothies. Just dial in the breakfast. On top of that, I would get them to try out different you know, protein sources for dinner each, each uh, you know, even a, once a week, twice a week, do a you know, meatless Monday kind of thing if you want. Um, and this would be like trying out different legumes and kind of discovering what you like. Do you like chickpeas? Do you like black beans? Do you like lentils? Um, maybe you like tofu and go from there. And then I would, um, also tell people to not fear fruit. Fruit is a great snack. If you're ever in need of uh, something like that. Um, if you're really ever hungry or on the go fruit can really, um, take care of that little bit of uh, craving that you might have. Um, so those are just a few simple ones. And by, by emphasizing that, by emphasizing, you know, um, swapping out your breakfast, well, you're probably in a lot of cases going to get rid of things like uh, dairy, eggs, maybe bacon, uh, which are some of the worst things, especially the bacon. Um, and then for dinner, if they're trying out some legumes or, or you know lentil stews or something, even once a week, that's probably replacing something else that's going to be worse, right? So um, you're going to start crowding out a lot of these other things. And usually I give a bunch of resources that they can try to find recipes and things as well. Do you have any resources you can quickly drop, like maybe books or um, recipe books, podcasts? Yeah, so there's um, there's two apps I, I often hand out to or I get people to download, and they're both free. One of them is called the 21 Day Vegan Kickstart. 
It's by the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. Uh, there are a bunch of uh, vegan doctors and dietitians in Washington, D.C. They created it overall pretty healthy and uh, really simple. It's a 21-day meal plan. Uh, they change the recipes, I believe, every month or so. So that's cool as well. And so you just got like a free resource, uh, free recipe resource there. Uh, the other one is Dr. Greger's Daily Dozen. So this is a checklist. It's a, it's, you can think of it almost like a grocery list where you go through and you try to tick off these boxes every day as you eat the different foods. There's one for legumes, there's one for berries, one for cruciferous vegetables, dark greens and uh, flax seeds and the list goes on. And these are kind of the healthiest foods um, that you can try to consume every day. And I don't want people to get crazy about trying to tick off every single box every day because that can actually be challenging. You might have to think about it, you know, really plan for it. But trying to hit each category on a regular basis, that's really good. Trying to at least, um, even if you're not getting your three servings of legumes, if you got one of them, that's great. That's a huge step in the right direction. Um, and it just makes sure you're really covering your bases as far as nutrition goes and make sure you're, you're really um, varying your diet and kind of reaping all the, the benefits, or at least hopefully. Okay, we're going to shift. Yeah, we're running out of time. So we're going to do as many listener questions as we can before you have to go. Um, so Shima J85 asks, best thing to remember to ensure you have a balanced nutritional diet? Oh, uh, that's just variety. I would go back to Dr. Greger's uh, Daily Dozen I just talked about. Um, as long as you're you know, hitting those categories, you're easily going to be covering your nutritional basis, along with the B12 supplement and vitamin D because we live in Canada and don't get sunshine. Mm-hmm. Um, at Jen J. Scott, one asked, should we limit plant-based things like burgers, chicken tenders, a.k.a. the processed foods, which I feel like I know the answer to. Um, I mean, yeah, ideally that's the, that's the case, but I think they're really good transition foods for people when they're trying to first make the change. And we actually have a recent study called the Swap Meat Study where they took Beyond Meat products. They had half the people consume Beyond Meat products twice a day, two servings a day. Uh, or they had people eat meat, regular meat, uh, uh, twice a day. And they found that at the end of the study, uh, which I, I think it was two weeks, if I recall correctly, they found that uh, the plant-based group or the Beyond Meat group had uh, improved cholesterol levels, actually had a little bit of weight loss compared to the other group. And these are just benefits. So um, compared to meat, if you're replacing meat with those products, it's certainly better, but they aren't going to be as good as tofu and tofu is not going to be as good as tempeh. And you, know, you can kind of make your way along the spectrum there. Uh, so it's really where you want to sit. I, I don't see any way to put a number on how many servings you should have or whatever, but um, definitely good for transitioning. Um, Ang Van Martin asks how to get a meat-loving spouse on board. So I feel like that mm. could kind of tie into maybe starting to add in like the Beyond Meat. Yeah, and honestly, you don't even have to tell them. <laughs> you can <laughs> you can just make a Beyond Burger for dinner, and they probably won't know. And then you tell them afterwards after they tell you how good it was and everything. Right? Love that trickery. Yeah. If you if you tell them ahead of time, sometimes they'll um, uh, they'll mentally kind of talk themselves out of it. They'll they'll think it wasn't very good. But um, yeah, you, I think you can trick them into. It. Of course, making sure that they don't have like an allergy to any of the ingredients or something. Because I've seen people do that with the public, where they'll trick them and and give out like a, a soy based something. But like, what if that person's allergic to it? I always freak out about that, right? Um, of course, if they're your spouse, I'm sure you wouldn't do that. So it's fine. Uh, at East Van Dan, is there any cheese that actually truly tastes like real cheese? Yeah, there's two companies. Um, Chow, uh, C-H-A-O, is really good. It's like spot on. Um, it is more expensive. I, I, I don't know the exact cost. I never really buy it, but it is, it's pretty spot on. And then the other one is Violife. Oh, I love Violife. Yeah, I don't know where to get it here anymore. I, I know there's a vegan supply. Um, yeah, okay, vegan vegan supply has it. Yeah, okay. So in Chinatown or Surrey, they they have vegan supply, and you can get it there. Biolife's really good. And actually, I'll add an extra one. If you like 
artisan style cheeses, um, Miyoko's is really good. That's my other favorite. (laughs) All the different kinds. Um, Jess, I'm so sorry if I say your last name wrong. Where, 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 I don't know. I'm sorry. Best drugstore vitamin brands. Is Jameson actually good? Um, so I wouldn't worry about specific brands. What I care about is you want to look for a label on it that says USP certified. So if it has the USP label on it, it means that it contains what it says it does and it doesn't contain contaminants. Um, they're essentially a third party testing organization. So they just go in, they, they test different products and they make sure it has what they say it has and and everything. So, um, and like even some Kirkland brand stuff is, I'm sure Jameson as well. Some Kirkland brand stuff is USP certified. So it's not like you necessarily need to go for the super expensive, fancy bottle. You know, you can get the cheaper ones as long as it truly does have what it says it does. That's great advice. Next question is from Kira Bell. Best advice for diagnosed celiacs who have a lactose intolerance to go more plant-based or vegan when they have a super hard time digesting soy and cruciferous vegetables? Um, Okay, so for starters, if you're lactose intolerant and you're going plant-based, that's great because you're getting rid of the the, uh, dairy right there. Anyway, and if you're celiac, you need to avoid gluten-containing grains. It's just a a fact. You you don't want to have any of that exposure that can lead to you know, issues down the road, uh, and some can be quite serious. So in that case, you're going to want to avoid um, wheat, you're going to want to avoid like barley and, and those gluten-containing grains, and even oats, you might want to make sure they're manufactured in a gluten-free facility, even though oats themselves don't contain gluten, there's often cross-contamination, and they'll be labeled as gluten-free if they, if they are. Um, so you want to focus on, like I said, oats, you want to focus on brown rice, quinoa, um, millet, sorghum, like there's all of these other whole grains. Farro is another one. These are things you probably never heard of, or at least some of them. And so you can branch out and try all these new things and you'll find some you really enjoy. And then of course, if you need to have some, um, like your know, pasta or bread or whatever, you can get gluten-free versions of those. It's just really important to make sure that you are getting the, the gluten-free uh, version. Now, if you have difficulties digesting soy or cruciferous vegetables, um, I would say, especially if it's all cruciferous vegetables, it's probably not a cruciferous vegetable problem. It's probably a gut problem. Um, and in that case, you want to investigate why that is. There are things you can do to make it easier to digest, like cooking, making sure you're at least steaming or boiling those, those vegetables. Um, that can help. Um, but you're just going to want some investigation by a health professional to, to really figure it out. Um, 13 Jesse 94 asks, what would you say to someone who struggles with disordered eating with a plant-based diet? Okay. So I actually have a friend, Tara Kemp. She's working on her PhD right now at the university of uh, Arizona. She is tackling this question. Um, she is going to ultimately come up, or at least her goal is by the end of her PhD studies to come up with a questionnaire, um, for healthcare professionals like myself to determine like, is this person a candidate for adopting a plant-based diet? Because I mean, yes, health wise, it's fantastic. Yes. Environmentally and ethically it's fantastic. But for someone with eating disorder history, I don't know that further limiting their diet is the best thing to do right now. It doesn't mean we can't later, but there are other things we need to deal with right now. Um, but that being said, there are absolutely people who have created a better relationship with food after adopting a plant-based diet. It's going to be super individual. And if you are somebody who's dealing with eating disorder and, and you want to, to maybe switch over to a plant-based diet, I think it's really important to work with a dietitian or work with a, any other kind of healthcare professional like myself, even to make sure um, that we're maintaining that healthy relationship with food and that we're making sure we're getting all our nutrition and we're not restricting because um, like I said, it, it can be a bit of a slippery slope and it could be something to almost hide behind when it comes to eating disorders as well. So we don't want to promote that. 
No, I completely agree with that. I, to be completely transparent, like when I first, I had an eating disorder and when I first had it, I used veganism to hide behind it. And so I completely agree. You have to put that first and then the plant-based lifestyle almost second. Yeah. Um, at our de patty, so sorry if I said that wrong. What is the best <laughs> digestive enzymes to keep you from being gassy? Um, so there's different enzymes for different things. Like there's one actually called Beano, B-E-A-N-O, um, that one specifically to help with digestion of the beans. Um, that being said, I don't typically promote really digestive enzymes. I think they can help temporarily. Um, and so in some cases, and in that case, I don't think there's any that are really better than others. I think that's just marketing. Um, but I don't typically recommend it as a long-term fix. We want to figure out why are you having difficulties digesting? Again, that comes back to gut health and, and other concerns there. So you shouldn't need to rely on, on digestive enzymes. And if you are, hopefully it's just for a short, uh, short period of time. Amazing. Thank you so much for answering so many of our questions that this episode was so educational. Um, let everybody know where they can find you. You have an amazing, amazing resource through your Instagram. So plug it, please. Uh, yeah, you can, you can follow me on Instagram at Dr. Matthew Nagra, dr. Matthew Nagra. And there is uh, where I do most of my posting and that sort of thing. I try to at least a couple times a week, uh, come out with some kind of educational post around uh, usually nutrition or other health topics. Um, I also have a website, drmatthewnagra.com, where I'll publish longer articles or I'll even post links to podcasts like this one. Um, and then I also have Twitter and Facebook under the same handle, but I'm not quite as active on those platforms. I, I do try to keep up though. Um, and if you have any questions, you can feel free to just DM me on, um, uh, on Instagram. I'm pretty good at responding to those. And if you are in BC and I'm able to see anybody over virtual visit now, telemedicine all throughout BC or in person at my clinic on commercial drive, again, you can DM me or you can get the booking links through my, my website and I'm happy to help that way too. Amazing. Thank you so, so much. Yeah. Thank no you. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right, friendships. I know you're probably just turning us off right now, but the chance that you actually like us, that you enjoyed the episode and you want to help us out, share this with a friend, leave us a review, subscribe and download our episodes. It really, truly does make a huge difference. And I say it every single week, friendships, but you know the drill. Join our group on Facebook. We link every single thing in there, like all of the links from the episode today that Dr. Matthew Negra shared will be in there, but also things from our intro, like the lovely Satisfier Pro, which I mean... You don't want to miss that. So make sure you go join there. You can support us by buying our merch at whatdaysatpodcast.com. We have some new things in the work friendship. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Our Facebook group, groupies, friendships, get first dibs on the new drop. So make sure you guys are in there so you can do it too. Thank you as always for listening and we will see you next. What day is it Wednesday? Wednesday.